Okay. Now, I am a science teacher by trade. And so, you're in school today, and there's a pop quiz. So, I'm going to give you a quiz here. How many of you say, yes, science, I'm in? How many of you say, what? I, I, where's the door, right? How many of you are like, well, it's science, I don't even get it. All right. All right, so here we go. <clears throat> what determines the following? Let's see. There are four questions, 25 points each. There is no extra credit. What determines a year? I know some of you are going to say, I have my, my phone, the calendar. No. What determines a year? Who knows this? What defines a year? I'm not going to call you out. Just how many of you are like, yeah, I got this one. I got this one. I got this one. Let's see how smart you is. <laughs> Did I say I was a science teacher, not an English teacher? How many of you got that one? One trip around the sun, right? How many of you got it? 25 points. We're doing good. How many of you are like, whoops. All right, we'll have tutoring right over here in the corner after service. How many of you know what determines a month? How many of you think, I got this, I got this, I'm, I'm acing this so far. How many of you are like, you're sure it's not the calendar, Bruce? I'll, I'll, I'll say this, add an O right in the middle of that. Yeah, maybe that's where they got the word, right? Because the moon determines our month. Okay, when I taught students, I said, just remember month, right? So um, a month is determined by one lap around the earth by the moon. Okay, so how many of you got it? 50 out of 50 so far, so far, okay. Here we go. The third one, what determines a day? Not your, your watch, and for those of you that don't carry a watch, it's not your phone. Okay, what determines a day? How many of you got this one? You're, you're, you're like, come on. Come on, Mr. Come on, Bruce. This is too easy, right? Let's see if you got it. One rotation on the axis. How many of you knew that? Sun up to sun up, right? Now, all of those aren't exactly, you know, 365 days uh, is a year. It's actually 365.2422. That's, that's why we have leap year every four years. And by the way, it's .2422, which isn't exactly a quarter of a day, which is why every 100 years we don't have one of those. I could go into all the details of that. And, the, and a month is 29 and a half-ish days, okay, so I get all that, but we just kind of round things around. And a day is not 24 hours exactly. I get all that. But those are set by astronomical events. So what? Here we go. Here's the, here's the last question. What determines a week? How many of you know this one? How many of you are like, sounds like a trick question? <laughs> there is no astronomical events. Nothing out there in the stars determines what a week is. How many of you know what it is, though, and, and what determines that? Okay, let's see here. See, in uh, 1922, the Soviet Union was founded. That's easy for me to remember because my father was born in 1922. He would have been 100 years old in, on September 1st this year. He's already in heaven, but he would have been 100 now, I know what you're thinking. I'll just say it out loud. I look good for 70, <laughs> right? I look really good for 70 years old. I'm not 70, but I look good for 70. <laughs> so when, uh, that's, 
It's not that funny. It's a little hurtful. In 1929, seven years after the founding of the Soviet Union, they began to look at all kinds of societal norms, including the calendar. And because there was no astronomical event that determined a week, and because they knew, some of you know this, a week is determined in the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus. And see, the USSR, see, those of you that are like 30, 35, or 40, you have no idea about what the USSR was like. How many of you, you know, <clears throat> approaching my age can remember the fear we had of the USSR, right? I was always scared there's a nuke coming. There is a nuke coming. It's coming. How many of you with me? You remember that fear we had about the USSR? This is before we walked in the peace of God, right? Uh, but we, they were the the great evil empire. I'm quoting a great president there. So what, what USSR, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic, republics, I'm sorry, of which Russia was the biggest country. And you need to know something. Again, if you're, if you're way younger than me, you haven't been taught this, but those of us that are in, you know, advancing in years a little further down the path of life, we understand something. Socialism by definition takes God out of the picture and replaces it with government. It's a godless society. Now, you may not have been taught that in your school or, or wherever. Sorry to upset you, but uh, I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you. Who wants lied to today? Anybody? Okay, I'll lie to you later. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll lie to you later. Okay, so I'm going to lie to you right now. There is no Santa Claus. There it is. Okay, so... But by definition, by definition, they took God out of the equation. So what did they do? In 1929, they introduced what was known as the Soviet Eternal Calendar. They set up every month a five-day week, six weeks in the month. Now, socialists, and, and particularly the Soviets at the time, they loved round numbers. So that just made every month, every month was 30 days, Right? And so they took this one, then they added in the extra five days, and they, they, they called them Soviet, you know, uh, uh, holidays. I'm pretty sure they didn't include Christmas. Why? Because they're a godless society. They're socialists. They took God out of the equation, and they, and they put the government in there in its place. The government's going to take care of you. And so Here's what they discovered. Four days of work and a day off. Four days of work and a day off. Sounds great. But it destroyed family life for some reason. And the machines wouldn't even respond to a five-day week. Think that's coincidence? Later, they actually, they actually went to a, a six-day week. Five days of work and a day off. And so six days, five five weeks in a year, and it still didn't work, and the machine still didn't respond. Hmm, I wonder why. Well, you know this. Here it is in the book of, of Exodus, right there in the middle of the Ten Commandments. God says, remember. Soviets forgot it, didn't they? Remember the, so the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work. And, or labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And it goes on. It says, in it you shall do no work. 
you nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, your stranger, whoever's in your gates. Why? Now watch this. God is speaking. He is literally writing on the tablets of the Ten Commandments as he speaks this to Moses. How many of you remember that old, uh, that old, old, old movie with Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, right? That fire comes out. Wow, that's amazing. Imagine if that's what we came up with. <laughs> Imagine what it looked like to Moses. For in six days God is speaking. He says, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested the seventh day. Now, I'm, can, I, can I run off on a rabbit trail here for a minute, for just a second? Can I, can I say something about this? If you have been taught, or you, you believe right now that in the book of Genesis, in the creation week, that all of those days, maybe they're long periods of time, approaching hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of years for each day. Can I ask you a question? Why would God use that as an example for Moses and the people of Israel for our week? Can I, can I ask you just to think about something? I'm just reading the word. Can I ask you to just think about something? If each day of those, each of those days in the creation week were actually millions of years, wouldn't God be saying here, you go ahead and work for six million years and rest for one million years. Just something to ponder. Do you think God was that confused? I'm trying to imagine this scene in heaven that Jesus is sitting. Jesus was up there already. You know that, right? He's, he's eternal too. He's sitting at the right hand of God and God the Father is carving into the stones of the Ten Commandments and he does this and... and Jesus is like, Dad, Dad. Yes, son. It's my best God voice. Dad, you said day there. It was actually millions of years. I don't think that happened in heaven. So just ponder on that one. How many of you would agree with this? The Bible is the most despised, denied, dissected, derided, debated, disputed, destroyed, and outlawed book of all time. I mean, it's a series of books. Don't, don't quabble over words with me here. But it's the most debated of all time. And you know which book is probably the most of all of those? The book of Genesis. Now, I wonder why the book of Genesis is so despised and so questioned and so so absolutely disputed. I wonder why that is. See, the Bible has, think this through, it has survived all those attacks for thousands of years. It's still there. It's still there. It's alive. It's still there. Why do you suppose it's the most despised? Hmm. Well, let's think about some societal norms that we have in the book of Genesis, that the book of Genesis explains to us. How about this one? Marriage. That's set up in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis tells us, this is the Bible, one man marries one woman, hopefully for one lifetime. Is that been under attack in society? Oh, my word, yes. How about this? The fact that there is sin in the world, or... What sin is? 
Those of you that are old enough, you remember, there was a pretty clear line, black and white, through, through our childhood. Wow, has the, the gray really expanded in our lifetime of what's acceptable. That's not sin. That's okay. You know, God loves you anyway. Well, that's true, but it doesn't mean he's happy with what you're doing. How about this? How about this? Here's one that I find kind of fascinating. Clothing. Clothing. It's in the book of Genesis. You ever thought about this? You know, we're, we're lumped into the animal kingdom for convenience in, in biology textbooks. You're not an animal. I'm, I'm just telling you, okay? You're, you're above an animal. But why are we the only animal that ever thinks to cover ourselves? It's in the book of Genesis. I mean, how many of you have been to the zoo and you go through a certain, <clears throat> just, you know, there's certain areas you're like, dude needs some pants. <laughs> those monkeys, those apes, they don't care. Why? Why do we care? It's in the book of Genesis. It's been under attack for thousands of years. What else? The, the establishment of the Jewish nation. That through history is the most, put all those words in there, the most disputed, despised, attacked nation in the history of ever. God gave his dominion over animals in the book of Genesis. I got news for you. This is going to be, this is going to be um, a shocker to you. You are above an animal. What have they ever created? I mean, we got cars and rockets and computers. We don't know how to work any of them, but, but we have computers nonetheless. You think a critter is above you or on the same plane as you? I just don't happen to agree with that, sorry, because the word tells me. <laughs> I love animals, though. I mean, some of them tasty. <laughs> so all of that and what else is in the book of Genesis? The Sabbath. The Sabbath, all of that's under attack. All of it. You say, well, you know what, Bruce, listen, you know, is, is the book of Genesis really that important? I, you know, I'm just in on Jesus. Well, what did he say? Let's see. So the Lord said to the serpent, wait, I meant to say that as a teaser. Give me a second. So the Lord said to the serpent, now what's going on here? Anybody know what's going on here? This is in the book of Genesis. How about some other societal norms here? Quick summary. Adam takes the fruit. She eats the forbidden fruit. She hands it to her husband who was right there. What was that bum doing? He's supposed to protect her, isn't he? Right? Ladies, sorry when we don't protect you the way we're supposed to. So here we are, right? So they take, they eat, you know the deal. They go and hide because they realize they're naked. God shows up and says, where are you? We're hiding, blah, 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 blah. So he's, he, he's a righteous God. He has to pass judgment on sin. So here's what he does. Now watch this. This might blow some of your minds. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more, more than all of the beasts of the field. Let me stop right there. You know if you go to Almost any society in the world. No, it is every society in the world. You ask for the most despised critters. How many of you would agree? Snakes are going to be in the top two or three in every culture, right? Am I right? Why is that? 
the curse. But think about this. Snakes are fascinating. The way they move around, the way they can unhinge their jaws and swallow things that, I mean, this snake could swallow a bowling ball, right? They're fascinating, yet they're some of the most despised critters on the planet. And God goes on, he says, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and woman. That word means hostility. Men, how many of you have seen some hostility out of your wives when there's a snake on the property, right? Now watch this. You take 100 average guys and 100 average girls, and you take a vote. More often than not, who hates snakes worse, guys or girls? Why is that? The curse? Now listen, I know there's some exceptions. There's ladies that work at the reptile house at the zoo. and I get it. But would you agree? It's, it's the women more than the men. Why is that? The curse. The curse. And then here's the prophecy. This is great, right? Here it comes. He's telling us about Jesus already. God says, between you, still speaking to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed. He, who's that? That's Jesus. He shall bruise your, your head and you shall strike or bruise at his heel. Then he speaks to the woman. What's he say to the woman? I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, I want you to see this. Uh, I think most of us realize part of this, but there's one part here. The word conception is the Latin word heron. It appears three times in the Old Testament, and each and every time it has to do with the act of conception or pregnancy. Now, follow me on this, ladies. I will multiply your sorrow and your conception, your pregnancy. How many of you absolutely, positively, those of you that have children, have a first-hand knowledge of morning sickness? How many of you got a first-hand knowledge of all-day sickness? How many of you got a first-hand knowledge of all-pregnancy sickness, right? Susan's raising her hand down here. Can I ask you a question? Do you know how many critters on the entire planet experience morning sickness? Humans. Cows don't throw up every morning. Your dog doesn't throw up every morning. Right? Why is that? The curse. Ladies, blame Adam and Eve. And then it goes on and says, in pain you shall bring forth children. We always talk about pain in childbirth, right? Everyone knows this one, right? And how many of you ladies would say, oh yeah, I've talked about that with my children when they're in trouble. I was in labor for 36 hours with you. Right? Then there's that whole part about, I brought you into this world. Some of the teens in here are cringing right now. I've heard that so many times. Here's an interesting one. I'm just reading the word, guys. Your desire shall be for your husband. That word desire, I looked that one up too. I'm a nerd that way. It's yearning and longing. Your yearning and longing shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Okay, 100 average relationships in high school, 100 average relationships in college that break up. In general, who's the most devastated? The girl, right? Why is that? It's a curse. 
See, I heard Dr. Dobson of Focus on the Family years and years and years ago. Teen girls and, and, and unmarried girls, if you're dating, listen to me. This is important. Here's what he said. He said, girls are in the pursuit of love. They want to be loved. <clears throat> Guys that don't go here. They just want sex. So here's what happens. Dr. Dobson says, girls will play around at sex to get love. Guys will play around at love to get sex. So at the end of a relationship, who got what they wanted? Right? Well, here's, here's the one I hate. To Adam, he said, because you have heeded, who's supposed to be leading here? He heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded, saying, you shall not eat of it. Here's what he said. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Guys, tell me if you've experienced this. There's, a, there's this area of your yard. You're just trying to get the grass to grow, to be thick and green, right? And you seed it, and you water it, and you fertilize it, and you seed it, and you fertilize it, and you seed it, and fertilize it. Nothing. But it grows like crazy in the crack of the driveway. <laughs> Am I the only one? Am I the only one that this happens to? What is that? The ground's cursed. Goes on, it says, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, I want to throw this in too. Toil, the word toil here has to do with hard labor and work. It's a different word that God gave Adam in the garden before sin. That was to dress and care for. It was a different word. Now work is coming into it. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Just leave your garden for one season. What happens? Tomato plants, sweet corn, sweet taters. No. Thorns and thistles, right? You shall eat the herb of the, of the field. In, sweat of your, in the sweat of your face, you shall, bring, uh, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Now, work is a curse. Now, hear, hear me on this. How many of you have heard that saying, oh, listen, you find something you love, you'll never work a day of your life? How many of you heard that? And, and to a certain extent, that's true right? But the fact that you have to work to earn a living is the curse part, right? You may love your job, but if you're like, oh, no, I love my job. I don't need to work. Well, go in and tell them you don't need a paycheck and see how that works out for you, <laughs> right? I love my job, but my kids got to eat, right? So the fact that we have to work is part of the curse, I hope you love your job. And if you don't, keep praying. So what, back to this thing, well, you know, I'm just in on Jesus. I don't need all that mess. Okay, but watch. What's Jesus have to say about it? He said, for if you, this is Jesus, it, it should be in red ink, but that messes up the whole presentation. For if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Guess who wrote the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus? Moses. In another place, he says this. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe me if I tell you heavenly things? Now, let me give you a paraphrase here, okay? This is the BDV, the Bruce Dow version of the Bible, okay? If I tell you earthly things and cause you to doubt, won't you doubt if you hear heavenly things? 
Jesus quoted Genesis a lot. He talked about the commandments a lot. I know he narrowed it down into a couple. But maybe if it was important to Jesus, maybe it should be important to Bruce. It's awful quiet in here. The Bible has a word for disobedience. We don't like to use that word, you know. We don't like to talk about that in public. We don't like to bring it up with our, with our families and our, our friends. But that's what the Bible calls it, okay? And see, Pastor Mike referred to something, I think it was last week, maybe it was the first week of this series, when he, when he talked about the importance of tithing. And I don't understand God's math either. I just love it. But he said, we're arrogant to think that I'm not going to tithe because my 100% is better than God's 90% blessed. That's arrogance. I'm telling you, we, we have testimony after testimony just in our marriage of almost 32 years. How God just, I have no idea how he does this. But somehow he makes 90% blessed because we tithe. 90% blessed is greater than 100% unblessed. I don't know how he does it. I'm just glad he does. Doesn't that apply to the Sabbath? Somehow we think, I'm going to work my tail off for seven days, and it's going to be better than if I take a day off and let God bless my other six. Smile when I say this. Isn't that arrogance? Now, Pastor Michael put these up here. This is, this is uh, your test on hurry sickness, right? How many of you remember these the, the last few weeks? Okay, how many of you are like, um, I think I kind of remember the fact that possibly he put them up there. That's all right. I'm going to run through them again here real quick. Okay, so hurry sickness. Okay, let's take the test. How are we doing? All right, the first one, you treat everything like it's a race. And we're not just talking about out on the, on the street, although some of you turn into incredibly different people behind the wheel of a car. There's some elbows right there. Okay. You find it impossible to do just one task at a time. And sometimes we brag about it. I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I'm not messing. My wife will say amen here. I'm a good multitasker, which is a freak for a man. Usually it's the woman, right? The, the women can do that. It, it irritates her at times because I do it so well. But here's the deal. I brag about it. And I, as much as I can multitask, I'm still not giving 100% here and 100% here. Right? You get highly irritable when experiencing experiencing. That word, a delay. Micah talked about being in opposite lines of the, of the checkout, and you're like eyeing the person who you got in line with across there, right? How about this? You feel perpetually behind schedule. You're like that rabbit in Alice in Wonderland, right? You interrupt or talk over people. You can't wait till that person finishes their sentence because so, you got some. In fact, no, 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 I'm not going to wait. This is too important. And, and you might even throw this in there. You might even throw this in there. Oh, I got one better than that. Really? 
You're obsessed with checking things off your to-do list. And see, what happens is, every time we we fail and fall short of God's glory and, and God's plan for life, the darkness just creeps in a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And before long, it's so dark you can hardly see. Our eyes adjust. Even our spiritual eyes adjust to that darkness. But before long, it's so dark you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Just like the darkness crept into this room and your eyes are adjusting. In fact, go and bring those lights up in a hurry. Here's what happens. We get into the darkness and then someone brings the light back into our life and then it's offensive. Right? But we should have been in this light the whole time. Oh, I'm preaching better than your amen. So what do we do? I'm going to give you two things. All that pride and arrogance. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 3. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we just got to be humble enough to repent and say, God, I've missed it. I have fallen far short of your glory. I have been in too big of a hurry. I have been in a race. I have been talking over people, whatever in that, in that list. And allow God to come in and bring that time of refreshing. One of my favorite Old Testament characters is Elijah. Elijah's got amazing stories. You read through 1 Kings, man. It's what he did. He, he pronounced there'd be no rain on the nation for three and a half years. Guess what? It didn't rain. Then he shows up one day and says, okay, it's going to rain. Boom, we have rain. All right, he, he, he challenged the prophets of Baal, 450 of them to a challenge, 450 to one, and he beat them. Fire falls from heaven when, when he calls on it. In fact, there's one thing, this is, this is interesting. The king shows up and is going to head back into town in his chariot, and God empowered him to outrun the chariot. Just amazing stuff. But he ends up running away because the queen wants him dead. And so he ends up in this cave. Can you imagine hiding out in the cave? And God speaks to him. God says, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. He's in the cave. Now he walks out on the ledge. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into, into the mountain and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But see, the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. I don't know about you. If I'm standing out there, I'd have been, God, I'd have been safer in the cave. But see, God was not in all of that. Where was he? He was in that still, small voice. And see, the second thing, repent is number one. The second thing, we got to understand something. Someone taught me this a long time ago. God whispers. The devil screams. And see, God whispers. And sometimes we're running so fast and in such a hurry. God's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. But I think we're just hurrying a by in life. And God is like, um, hey, could I have a moment? Hey, could we, could we talk? I've been guilty of that. 
we get in such a hurry that we miss his still small voice. So this brings us back to the foundational scripture that Micah has shared with us. Come to me all who will labor or are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My cousin for years has raised, raised these horses called Belgians. And if you don't know what a Belgian is, it's, it's similar in size, although a little bit bigger and stronger, to a Clydesdale. Here it is. The Clydesdale, they're the pretty boys, okay? They, they're strong. They're just not as strong. They're, they're the white-collar workers, you know. They get to pull the Budweiser wagon, and they get all the fame. The Belgians are the blue-collar workers. They do the work. They're strong. And my cousin will tell you this. They rate how strong horses are by how much weight they can pull, six feet. So if they can budget and move it six feet, one Belgian can move 7,000 pounds on a sled six feet. But here's the interesting thing. You put two of them together under a yoke. How many of you were here, you saw Micah put a yoke up there that, that puts two animals together? You put two of those together, they can immediately pull 17,000, more than double. But my cousin will tell you, if you train them, and get them working together in lockstep, the two of them can pull 22,000 pounds. <clears throat> can I tell you, that's what Jesus wants with you. To get under that yoke with him, get in lockstep, working together, and you just see what God will do in your marriage. You just see what God will do in your family, in your business, your career, young person in school. If we get under that yoke, would you stand with me?